Let's pray. Father, when we gather together as your body to lift up Jesus, it's a, it's a glimpse of heaven we get to experience before the day we get there. Lord, thank you that we don't serve an ordinary God, but the God of all the universe. We pray, Lord, that as we continue to worship and open up your word, you would speak to us. Lord, you would encourage us and you would remind us of the dream, of the vision that you have for each one of us to follow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, congratulations to you. You came to church on a holiday weekend. So that means that you are going to definitely go to heaven as far as I'm concerned, right? Yeah. I want to start with a question. I want to start with asking you to, to think for a moment, what, what dream, what vision has God planted in your heart? See, I, I believe that every single one of us needs a vision, needs a, a, a dream to pursue with our life. In fact, the Bible says that without a vision, people perish. They wander aimlessly without purpose in life. And I can't help but on this weekend think about a vision. 250 years ago with a group of people who wanted to create a different kind of country, unlike the country that they had come from. They wanted a country that was centered on biblical principles, one where every person was created equal. And I, I think it's so appropriate as we celebrate uh, Independence Day this next week that we take a moment to just kind of think about their story and how they made sacrifices and they dealt with so many difficulties and risks and some of them even lost their lives so that they could be free and we could be free. And I, I think back to what they went through and I think about their, their drive and their hope and their ambition and their, their passion for freedom. But one particular thing sticks out to me when I think about the early patriots, and that's determination. In fact, I don't think anybody models determination and perseverance quite like Abraham Lincoln. Allow me to just share a little bit about what he went through in his journey to overcome obstacles, okay? Uh, in 1809, Abraham was born into a very, very poor family in Kentucky. And as Kentucky grew and became more and more okay with slavery, Abraham's dad became disgusted by that, and so he decided to uproot the family and completely move to another state, Indiana. The problem is, when he did so, they had to start with a temporary shelter on this vacant land, and even though Abraham was just a young man at the time, he had to actually help his dad from sunup to sundown build a home for them. Well, when he turned nine years old, his mother passed away. And because they were so poor, his father didn't have the means to buy a casket to bury her in. So his dad decided to leave Abraham's mom on the kitchen table while he spent the next couple of days building a homemade casket for her. It was a one-room log cabin, and uh, history tells us that Abraham experienced trauma the rest of his life, having to wake up and go to bed each day until that casket was made with his mom on the kitchen table. Can you even imagine that? 
Well, growing weary of poverty, Abraham left home to work for a business, thinking that he would start off and become an entrepreneur. But wouldn't you know it, that business went bankrupt in 1831. So in 1832, he ran for office. With the state legislature, as a matter of fact, he decided that maybe God was leading him into politics, but he lost that election. In 1833, he went into business with a friend of his, and he didn't have any money, so he had to borrow the money for his half of the business. But in a short time, the business failed. Not only that, but his partner died. And because his partner died and there was outstanding debt, it took him 17 years to have to pay back the entire debt because his partner wasn't alive to help. In 1834, he ran for state, uh, state legislature again, and this time he won. It seemed like perhaps Abraham Lincoln's luck was changing. He celebrated with his sweetheart named Anne Rutledge, whom he planned to marry. But in just a little time after that, she unexpectedly died. And when she did, it devastated him to the point where he had a nervous breakdown that following year. In 1836, he sought to become the Speaker of the House, but he lost. In 1840, he ran for Congress and he lost again. He ran again in 1846, and he actually won a seat to the U.S. Congress. But he wasn't reelected again in 1848. So he ran for a federal position as commissioner in 1849, and he lost that too. In 1856, he was nominated to run as the vice presidential candidate for his party, the Whig Party's convention, but he lost that. He ran for U.S. Senate in 1858, and he lost again. By now, Abraham Lincoln was 50 years old, and in pretty much everything he had tried in his life, he had lost. He had lost positions, he had lost people that were dear to him, but he didn't give up. He entered the next opportunity he could for the presidential race. He was nominated by his party, he was overwhelmingly voted in, and he became the 16th president of the United States of America and won a re-election to boot. Why? Because he had de determination. Because he knew that God had placed this dream inside of him. And he knew that he had to keep pressing forward until that dream came to reality. See, our, our forefathers, they had something that I think we can lack in this culture. They had grit. They had this sense that they had to keep pushing through, that nothing great, nothing significant in life Comes easy, does it? <laughs> so they knew that they had to keep pushing past obstacles and keep working and keep praying and keep trusting, believing that God would be able to get them through to whatever it is that God had called them to. Now, I think that we're living in a time where people give up too easily, don't you? It seems like people fold so quickly. Even though God has given them a, a dream, a vision, they give up on that vision so quickly. And they don't dig down deep to find that inner strength of the soul, that, that grit that they need to endure when difficulty comes their way. I've met people who give up on their marriage. The, the years of difficulties and disagreements and even damage and terrible things that have happened, they believe that those things are too hard to overcome. Instead of going back to why they got married in the first place and trying to rekindle those old flames. Well, they believe it's too little too late, and they go their separate ways 
giving up on that promise they made to each other. I've met people who have given up on their kids. That son or that daughter who went south for whatever reason. And even though they had years of prayer and years of counseling and different things to try to help that person go from becoming a burden in the family to becoming a blessing to the family, they decided that they just would cut their losses and cut that relationship off. I've even met people who give up on God. As a pastor, you can guess, I meet with some of those people from time to time. And they'll often tell me that God didn't keep up his end of the bargain. God didn't do things the way that they expected him to do. So they've grown bitter, they've grown hard-hearted, and they've believed that they're going to settle for something so much less than God wanted for them. Oftentimes, they choose to believe that maybe God's real, maybe he's not, but they're no longer interested in cultivating a relationship with him. And, and you know when we give up on the dream, you know what? Not only do we lose, but the enemy wins. For some reason, I think we forget that we're in a war. I think we forget that we have an enemy that hates your guts and hates my guts and will stop at nothing to try to take us out of the race. Friends, he studies us, the enemy does, he knows us, he knows our weaknesses, he knows how to tempt us, and he tries everything he can to keep us from God's dream, because God's dream is the reason that God put us on this earth. That's why I think it's so important what it says in 1 Peter 5.8. Peter said, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour See, Christians are called to courage, not fear. We're called to press on. We're called to take a stand and not stand down. That's why 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. I don't know what your dream is. I don't know what that thing is that God has placed in your life, in your heart. But here's what I know. Now is not the time to give up. Too many times we give up when we're like Abraham Lincoln. We're right around the corner from seeing this, this breakthrough that God wants us to have. And I, I came across this story. I was so excited and am excited to share it with you because I believe that this story will give us some, some keys to understanding how to experience a breakthrough. How to see our, our vision, our mission, our dream come to fruition. And so we're going to look at the life of somebody who had every reason in the book why he could have given up on his dream, <laughs> but he didn't. He kept pressing on, and he experienced something incredible. All right. Well, this story takes place as uh, Jesus is heading with his disciples into Jerusalem. He's beginning what we call Passion Week, which is the week just before Jesus died, and Jesus is just about to go into Jerusalem, and they're about to lay the palm branches on the street and proclaim Hosanna as he comes into town. Well, he's passing through the town called Jericho, which isn't too far away from Jerusalem. And Mark 10 picks up the story. It says this, verse 46. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. Now listen, I can't imagine what it would be like to be blind today. I mean, I'm sure it would be a very difficult 
experience a difficult situation to have to live in. But I think being blind back in the first century was incredibly difficult, maybe even harder than it is today. And I think that for several reasons. First of all, there was no such thing as any kind of government assistance, right? There was no Medicaid. There was no help from any kind of social services. If you were somebody who was disabled, and especially if you were blind, you had two options. Option one, find a family member or somebody to take you in and care for you. And if you didn't have that, the only other option that you had was to go out, sit on the side of the road, and beg, hoping that people would give you enough so you could survive. What a humbling thing that you had to do. Not only that, this is the crazy part. If you lived in those days, there was this idea, this theology, <laughs> that if you were born blind, it was because either your mom and dad sinned, and so God was punishing their child for their sin, or... Somehow, you sinned in the womb while you were still in your mom's tummy. You sinned enough that it made God mad, and so he punished you, and that's why you were born blind. Can you imagine that? Not only are you blind, not only do you have to beg people for survival, but you have people around you looking down on you because of your condition, seeing you as a second-class citizen, as somebody who's less than. Well, that was the story for poor Bartimaeus. And yet it's interesting to note that his name is Bartimaeus, right? Bar-Timaeus means son of Timaeus, and Timaeus means honor. Of all the names he could have been given, his mom and dad gave him the name son of honor, right? He's an honorable child. Now, you and I might think, given the conditions of poor Bartimaeus, the last thing he probably felt was that he was honored. I mean, you can understand, right, how it could be easy for him to think, well, I was born blind. I'm having to spend my life begging. So God didn't honor me. My family didn't honor me. People around me don't honor me. Well, we would assume that. But that's what's crazy about Barnabas. See, he didn't see himself as a victim. <laughs> In fact, he had this dream, and this dream drove him with more courage and more faith than most people around him realized. So Jesus is coming through Jericho, and he's on his way out of town, heading to Jerusalem. And verse 47 says, when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now I'm guessing Bartimaeus, sitting by the side of the road begging, probably heard the rumors and the gossip and the information about what was happening in life. So here's Bartimaeus. And he knows that people are on their way up to Jerusalem because it's Passover, right? So crowds are kind of going to Jerusalem. Many of those crowds are going to be walking right through Jericho, walking right past him. That's good luck for him because that means more people he can beg from. They're probably in a Passover mood, right? And so he's hoping that he can cash in on the opportunity and make a little bit of extra money, which was a good thing. But then he hears a rumor that not only are people passing through Jericho, but Jesus is coming through Jericho as well. And this is, I think, where we get the first glimpse of what made Bartimaeus such a unique and determined guy. Because first of all, he discovered who Jesus was. It blows my mind that here's a guy who's been blind most likely from birth, who actually could see Jesus for who he was 
better than most of the people who were around Jesus at the time. I mean, it blows my mind to think about it. Even though so many people were constantly following Jesus and seeing him do miracles, seeing him help people, seeing him hand out food and get the free lunch, right? Bartimaeus, who couldn't see, had spiritual eyes to see who Jesus really was. So you and I have the benefit of looking back on the Bible and being able to learn as we read scripture who Jesus was because the story is complete. But in those days, there were a lot of different opinions about who Jesus was. Some people thought he was a rabbi. Some people thought he was just a teacher. Some people thought he was a miracle worker. But there were a lot of opinions. In fact, one of my favorite books is called, uh, uh, it's by Josh McDowell. It's called More Than a Carpenter. And in this book, Josh McDowell says that if you take all the different guesses about who Jesus was and boil them all down, Jesus really can only be one of three things. He can only be, first of all, either a liar. He wasn't really the son of God. He really couldn't do miracles. He just faked it all and he deceived people and he was evil telling people the things he told them. That's option number one. He's a liar. Josh says there's a second option. That option is that he's a lunatic. That Jesus wasn't actually trying to deceive people. That Jesus was actually just crazy. And he thought he was God's son. He thought he was the Messiah. He thought he was special and he wasn't. But he had deceived enough people to believe the same lie that he believed himself. So he could be a liar. He could be a lunatic. Or he could be the Lord. He could be exactly who he said he is. Able to do exactly what he promised he could do. And so... Those were really the three options of who Jesus was. But I love that Bartimaeus, he didn't call out to Jesus the prophet or Jesus the good worker of good deeds. No, he said Jesus, son of David. That's a very specific title. He's saying, Jesus, I know who you are. You are the Messiah of the Old Testament. You are the one who's coming to save the world from their sins. And I love that he understood that. And by the way, the Bible doesn't tell us how Bartimaeus understood who Jesus was. But he knew that Jesus was the only one he could cry out to for mercy. And so that's exactly what he did. He cried out and he said, Jesus, help me, save me, rescue me. Well, I think there's a second thing we can learn from this story about Bartimaeus. And it's this, that he understood the opportunity that was at hand. Being blind again had probably limited Bartimaeus. And I'm, I'm getting the idea in this story that Bartimaeus probably wanted to do a lot of things. But because he was blind, even though he had probably heard about Jesus, he couldn't go to where Jesus was or follow Jesus because he couldn't see. Now imagine being a guy who wanted to see Jesus, wanted to know him, wanted to be healed by him, but you couldn't see. However... You were right in the right spot at the right time where Jesus was about to walk right past you. The one person on the face of the earth who could answer your prayers was fixing to walk by you. That's the situation that Bartimaeus was in. Uh, I came across the story of a woman named Dorothy Fletcher. Dorothy Fletcher got on a plane to go from Manchester, England to Orlando, Florida. 
She was a grandmother. She was uh, with her daughter, and she was going with her daughter to a wedding in Orlando, Florida. As they were coming close to the eastern seaboard, she began to feel these acute chest pains. She began to demonstrate the signs of a heart attack, and so her daughter called the stewardess to come over, and she alerted her that she thought her mom was having a heart attack. And this was a bad situation because they weren't even anywhere close to landing somewhere where there was a hospital. Well, uh, the uh, stewardess, of course, calmly used the intercom to do what a stewardess has to do in a situation like that. What's the question? Yeah, is there any doctor on board? Anybody who knows medical care? Much to her surprise, a person stood up. And then another person. And then another person. And then another person. Fifteen people stood up. They all made their way to the stewardess who directed them to Dorothy. They fed drips into her arm and used an onboard medical kit to sustain her until they could divert the plane to North Carolina land and take her to the hospital, and she lived to tell about it. But here's what's crazy. Dorothy had a heart attack on a plane, and there were 15 world-class cardiologists on their way from Manchester to Orlando to give a conference on how to help people in a crisis having a heart attack. (laughs) It's a true story. You can look it up. Think about that for Bartimaeus, right? Here he is. He's blind. There's one person on earth who can heal the blind. Who was that? It was Jesus. Jesus is fixing to walk right by him. (laughs) So he calls out to him, right? Did you know that There are two different words used in the Bible for timing, by the way. There's, first of all, a word, uh, it's a Greek word that is called chronos. And chronos is where we get the term chronological. So when we talk about timelines, when we talk about the time of day, the time on the clock, uh, those things, that's chronos, that's chronological time. The Bible uses that uh, several times. There's another word. This word is used a lot less frequently in the Bible, but it's there, and it's called kairos. The Greek word kairos means the appointed time in the purpose of God. It's God's timing that refers to a moment when God has a special situation or person or opportunity lined up in a supernatural way, and something great is about to happen. And I love that somehow Bartimaeus knew this was not a Kronos moment in his life. He knew that this was a Kairos moment. He, he realized that this was a special opportunity for him. And so the Bible says that he cried out to Jesus, right? But notice what happened next. The crowd turned to him and said, be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him. How rude. I think this shows us a picture of what people who were disabled in those days were treated like in that society. They they weren't worth Jesus' time. Jesus was way too important. He was way too significant to stop for some blind beggar on the side of the road, right? He was nothing but a nuisance. But see, Bartimaeus knew better. He knew that this was his moment, and he wasn't going to let it go. And so I absolutely love this. Watch this. Verse 48. But he only shouted louder. You go, boy. Son of David, 
Have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. Now, I want you to get this. Bartimaeus, the nobody beggar, stopped Jesus in his tracks. Isn't that cool? Another translation says that Jesus stood still. <laughs> Stop and let that sink in for a moment. Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, excuse me, the nobody, the, the blind beggar that nobody paid any attention to stopped the Son of God in his tracks. His faith was so powerful, his heart was so pure, and his, his voice was so determined that Jesus stopped and called to him. And the, I love this next part, verse 49. So they called the blind man, hey, cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Kind of gives us some insight into the crowd. One moment they're like, shut up. The next moment they're like, hey, cheer up. <laughs> By the way, this is the same crowd that loved Jesus one moment and shouted crucify him the next. Get in the picture here? Well, after Jesus stopped and called to him, the crowd encouraged Bartimaeus to get up and make his way to Jesus. Verse 50 continues. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. Now, this is remarkable. If you study a little bit about history and people who had to beg in third world countries or poor situations, their cloak or their coat was the most important thing that they owned. Not only was it their one piece of garment to cover them when the sun was baking down and it was hot, or to keep them warm when it was cold, but they would actually sit crisscross applesauce, right? And they would lay out their cloak in front of them because they couldn't see when people tossed coins to them. They would sit out all day, they would lay out this cloak as wide and as uh, far as they could, and then as people would give money and they would hear the money drop, they would thank them. And at the end of the day, they would reach out, grab the corners of this cloak or this coat, and pull it up together and gather their money and take it with them. That's not what Bartimaeus did. <laughs> the Bible says that he threw aside his coat, right? He didn't fold it up, he didn't gather his money, and he didn't care. Why? Because he already knew that Jesus had the power to heal him. That's the third takeaway from his story. That money didn't matter anymore. He already knew before Jesus said anything or even did anything that Jesus was going to do what he knew Jesus had the power to do. So he makes his way to Jesus, tosses his cloak aside, and then verse 51 says, the question was asked, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. The first time I read this, I thought, isn't this a little patronizing, right? I mean, the crowd sees Jesus stop. <laughs> the crowd sees this blind man make his way, stumbling and groping uh, whatever he could to make his way to that voice of Jesus. And then Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Seems a little obvious. But then I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? Nobody ever asked Bartimaeus what he wanted. Nobody cared what he wanted. I bet Bartimaeus had been waiting his whole life to answer. And nobody asked him the question until Jesus came along. 
I think Jesus was not only trying to activate his faith, I think Jesus was trying to honor him. Bartimaeus, you got my attention. I'm stopped. What can I do to help you? And of course, Bartimaeus says, I want to see. I just wonder if Jesus was here, if Jesus was with us and he asked the question, what can I do for you? What do you want? Would you be prepared to answer him? You see, every time you and I spend time in prayer, you may not realize this, but when you're in the throne room of God and you are praying, did you know that Jesus asks you and me that same question? What do you want me to do for you? I think that's why the writer of Hebrews says this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. God loves us. God hears us. As the song says, he's a good, good father. He wants to provide our our needs. And every time you and I sit in prayer, We're actually standing at the throne room of God and he's ready to answer. And Bartimaeus knew this. And so he answered Jesus, verse 52, and he said, I want to see. Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see. Just like that, Bartimaeus was healed. The miracle happened and he could see. Now, the story could have stopped right there and we could... Wrap up and go home. But if we did, we're going to miss the most important thing in this entire story. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say something that I believe might be shocking, but I believe it's true. Do you know that I believe Bartimaeus' dream was not to have his sight back? I don't think he went to Jesus and said, I want to see, so that he could be like everybody else. He could live a great life. He could, he could get a job. He could have a family. I don't think that was his intent at all. In fact, I believe that Bartimaeus had a much greater vision and mission than just having his sight back. And that's the fourth lesson from his story. He had a right motive for his healing. Now, I'm sure that for many people, especially if they've been blind since birth, being able to see would be a dream come true. No doubt about that. But I believe that was only a means to an end something even greater for Bartimaeus. How do I know? Because there are seven more words in his story, in verse 52. It says this, and he followed Jesus down the road. You get it? Do you understand what his mission was? It was to be a disciple of Jesus. It was to follow Jesus wherever he went. That was the thing he wanted. That was his dream. That was his vision and his goal. Being blind just kept him from the greater goal, to follow Jesus wherever he went. I love that because I think so many people follow Jesus because of what they want from him. Honestly, I think it's such a sad thing that people see Jesus as a a means to an end. If you read a lot of Christian celebrity books, if you watch a lot of TV evangelists and well-known preachers around the country, you know what they're going to tell you? They're going to tell you that Jesus exists, that Jesus came so you could be healthy and wealthy and happy every single day of your life. That's so sad. Friends, Jesus didn't come into this world so we could all experience some kind of prize. Jesus is the prize. 
knowing him, loving him, serving him. That's the prize. And, and being able to see, being able to walk, being able to know him and follow him and talk to him, that's the most wonderful thing. Bartimaeus understood it. We need to understand that as well. I started with a question. What is your dream? What is your vision? What is the thing that God put in your heart? And I don't know what the answer is, but I know this. You start by knowing Jesus more and more. You continue by recognizing those divine moments, those kairos moments that God puts in your life. You believe that Jesus can do this, the exact things that he promises he can do and he, he's able to help you overcome whatever difficulty comes your way. And then you make sure that you have the right motive and you know what's going to happen? Like Abraham Lincoln, like Bartimaeus, like so many people who have gone before us, I believe that you will see that dream that God put in your heart come true if you don't give up. So don't give up. Let's pray. Father, I uh, love this story. And I love Bartimaeus because he was the most ordinary guy in the Bible with an extraordinary heart. God, he was determined, determined to see the dream become a reality. And I don't know what dreams you've placed in the hearts of those who are with me right now, but I believe that the enemy wants to keep them from their destiny, their mission, their vision, and their purpose. I pray that you will reignite that passion in their heart, that determination. And Lord, they will remember that as they walk with you and talk with you and trust you, that dream can come alive again. Give us courage. Give us faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.